For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expanding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding Reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this incredibly cool episode, guys, Mark Steves returns from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy to talk to us about comics, superpowers, alchemizing limitations, the homunculus, animorphs for God's sakes, and of course, the interests of New Haven that he has found interesting to share with us that are also fascinatingly interesting. So there's a video component to this. So check the show description down there for expandingrealitypodcast.com. So you can get the free video version of this and you're not going to want to miss it. So of course, all the ways to find him located down in the show notes, all the ways to find us respectively. And without any further ado, Mark Steves. Mark Steves, hanging out. Good to see you, dude. I am happy to be here. <laughs> This is going to be a blast. You recently had me on your show. Thank you so much. It was an outstanding conversation. We really got a lot of, a lot of things out um, that I was able to articulate about the new things that we're doing with the publishing house, and I really appreciate the platform and the time to do that. You asked incredible questions, as always. Guys, linked below, of course, all the ways to find him. Uh, we just had an outstanding conversation, and highly recommend that you check that and all of his episodes out. You just have the most incredible people on, um, like me, you're empowering, you empower others. So you bring on folks that, you know, really point out actionable things here, but also incredibly cool, mysterious things. So, uh, with these bring them backs, we're not going to kind of just go, Hey, will you introduce yourself for the audience? I'm gonna link it below guys. Check out the links for the first time that Mark was on. And of course, all the other ways to find him other than that, brother, dude, what have you been up to? Well, brother, dude, I have been very busy so busy that I think I imploded some part of my uh, disciplined brain. And uh, I just had like, I was reeling from research. Have you ever gone down a research rabbit hole so far that you need to like uh, do the opposite for a few weeks just to like get back into maybe a more balanced. So I've been doing a lot of research into New Haven, Skull and Bones, history, you know, the history of this location where Skull and Bones now takes its, you know, uh, rightful throne at Yale, the Ivy Tower of, of Yale and this academic, you know, powerhouse. Skull and Bones is right there on the top of the hierarchy, you know, like they've had 
presidents of the United States, presidents of the Yale College, which is in their case a little bit more um, relative to like their story. Because, you know, I'm not saying anything that's that far fetched here. Skull and Bones almost entirely controls Yale University. Uh, its influence, at least at one point in time, made its way all the way up to the president of the college itself. Uh, but I've been just trying to figure out all this stuff. And naturally, when you go down, uh, you know, any sort of research rabbit hole, you're going to get kind of bogged down. And then especially when it's something like as dark as this skull and bones, you know, and it's something I've been passionate about for 10 years when I first came to New Haven and uh, as a student, you know, I'd been to New Haven a couple times throughout my childhood. I always lived near it, but because it's kind of, uh, well, it's not like your average city. It's mostly a college, some very fancy restaurants, and that's it. So there wasn't really much of a reason for me to go there when I was a kid, uh, but it became endlessly fascinating and still is. And every time I go to the city, I find something new, something interesting. Uh, but what's interesting is I was like, yeah, I need to take a little break because I feel burnt out. So for whatever reason, comic books and action figures <laughs> like pulled themselves into my brain from the, the like corner, the recesses of my nostalgic child mind, you know, like I don't remember exactly what did it, but I remember when I was a kid, Toy Biz came out with the coolest line of action figures. It was Marvel Legends Toy Biz and these action figures were not only were they the coolest, but they came with like little like accessories. And it's just, it was for an eight year old who loved the superheroes. It was mind blowing, mind blowingly cool. And, uh, and I found a bunch of them in my dad's house. Some of my old guys and it sparked this like chain reaction where now I just, I got the gang back together I got my old comic books. I got my old action figures. And that, that has been my way of, uh, of kind of getting off of the, the, the research rabbit hole and kind of like balancing me out a little bit. But yeah, you're looking at, uh, you're looking at them right there. <laughs> that is so cool. I love that we have the same nothing boxes. Uh, I've heard a psychologist phrase it phrased it this way, where he said that he referred to it as men and women, but you can scale this up to just exp uh, needing a break, right? And it was that uh, there's women specifically can connect everything to emotions because of the way that their mind works. Everything's connected. So an action's connected to a feeling's connected to a result and all of these things. Men, as a psychological observation, uh, have this ability to compartmentalize, meaning like when you're working on your car, you're not thinking about emotionally what happened to you at work two years ago. You know what I mean? Like there's a very set like, okay, we're focused on this. And so we can compartmentalize them into what they refer to as boxes. This is, and then the, the butt of the joke and the idea behind the psychological study was the observation that men, whenever asked, what are you thinking from a woman can say nothing and mean that because there's a box of nothing that we pull off of a, a shelf and we get into it and it doesn't connect to anything like y'all's minds do. So we get a break. And so a nothing box of mine is this, uh, Legos are another one for me, but it's specifically yes. superhero Legos, Marvel Legos, DC, stuff like that. 
So this dude, the uh, animated stuff, I love this, and it's so interesting though that we have the same thing, and specifically uh, these sort of that realm. You know what I mean? That world. It could have been anything. You know what I mean? But the softer, but still more imaginative realm to get out of the heaviness of the shit that's here. You know, it's it's a really cool thing, dude. Thank you. Yeah, and I remember we talked about this the uh, the last time we connected, and you you mentioned the Legos, and yeah, I've. I think it's it's something Legos in particular are a little different in the sense that like it's constructive and it's probably the least limitating toy. Like with Legos, you have a rule book or an instruction guide, but who's ever following that? When I was a kid, I just ripped open the boxes and threw all the Legos into one <laughs> giant Tupperware. Oh, you sadist. And that oh. was my that was my kit, you know, and I could make whatever I want out of those Legos. And really, unless someone has that same combination of Legos, you know, it was kind of like a unique set. Right. So you can make whatever your Lego box limitations were. So I would just make like bases and towers and spaceships and stuff. Hell yeah. I love it. I love it. Now, here's the thing. I expected the action figure comic book route to be a nothing box, kind of like a dead end where I could just chill and, and, and let some of those other thoughts hang on their own for a bit. And I'd come back and revisit the research, right? Well, little did I know that all of these comic book writers are basically like guys like you and me. They didn't have podcasts back then, but they're, you know, getting their rocks off, researching this kind of stuff and then including it into their work. So I've just been like, really, and I hope my audience doesn't like get bothered by my obsession with comic books all of a sudden, but I've just been finding so many references to conspiracy theories in the comic books that I've been getting into. I mean, from Wolverine uh, potentially stopping the assassination of JFK in one issue to the Fantastic Four kind of like basically, uh, I think, basically disclosing the whole Nazi thing and how the Nazis escape. I mean, Captain America fights these Nazis after world war two. I mean, they're, they're talking about stuff that we're, that we're basically researching and I never made that connection. You know, when I was younger, obviously I couldn't cause I didn't know all this stuff I know now, but I, I always had this sort of, I don't know, erroneous thought that, Oh yeah, that's just all silly stuff. There's nothing real, real there, but of course it's real. They have to, you know, they can't just come up with all of this stuff off the top of their head. They're mixing reality and, you know, into this fictional narrative. And that to me was kind of the biggest realization. It's almost like, you know, you try to turn away from something and it's there, you know, showing its face in a different mask almost, you know, like I tried to avoid the heavy stuff and here it is back again in the comic books. Like, not to you, Stanley, not to you, man. I'm coming to you for refuge. And here you are talking about Nazi infiltration and mind control and all that shit. You're like, come on, dude. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's that's Wolverine with the Weapon X thing. Weapon he, X, yeah. he basically gets yeah mind controlled and turned into this, uh, you know, adamantium skeleton killing machine, even though he's he's just a normal dude. He doesn't want to be a killing machine. You know, he's. He's got a mutant healing factor, and that's why they picked him to to become that weapon. But, you know, he's just a normal guy with a mutant healing factor before that. Yeah. 
And he because he could survive the process. That's it's so cool, dude. Yeah, so we could nerd out on this. And I will one for one more thing because uh, the movie Logan. Remember that? Did you you saw this? No, Logan, I, where I, I'm gonna oh, watch. Then it I don't want to. Okay, then we can't talk about this yet. Okay, then when you watch it, let me know. Here, actually, yeah. no, no, no. So there's a study in it, and it basically shows what happens when superheroes get old and like lose their mind, literally. Like you could picture a superhero with dementia. What would that look like? They would be They wouldn't be able to control their power. And so then, especially someone with the power over the being able to control mind at such a powerful capacity, like Charles Xavier, for instance, what would it look like if he had dementia? And how would it affect the people around him? Like, would he make people's heads explode, you know, and shit like that? But not on purpose, just because he's failing in his faculties as he ages. It's an interesting thought experiment, you know? Yeah, well, they just got to give him a Magneto helmet at that age. <laughs> yeah, see, there's the fix because it's impervious. Thank you, Mark. You just solved this. That was brilliant. Okay. Put a Magneto helmet on Stick it Dementia on. Professor X. <laughs> Put a strap under his chin so he can't take it off, you know, tape up yeah. his hands or something. Yeah, He's, he's levitating the nurses. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Throwing bedpans at him and shit. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. See, now unruly. this is this is why it is a little bit of a problem. Because I've gotten into this stuff so much that now I'm like, oh, yeah, everybody loves comics when people come to my show for conspiracy and stuff. So I have to be respectful to my audience and understand that not all of them are into comic books like I am. But if they want to, you know, if they like the references, maybe they could comment and reassure me because I, I do feel a little weird about it. Like, really? not that I'm like it's not that i'm like embarrassed or anything i just don't want my show to become this thing where it's like oh art can't shut up about comic books ever since he talked to that you know like i just i don't want to like uh take uh, the show off of the trajectory we're on but it That's is fair. nice to have like a a resp respite i guess at a rest period from the research right cuz that's kind of really i think as a content creator you could relate to this like if you go really hard into one you know direction uh without kind of being flexible enough to switch it up kind of be more fluid you can burn yourself out and i've experienced that in the past with other things before i've uh, done podcasting so i guess it's yeah it's reassuring to find out that you know you're interested in this kind of stuff. If you were like, oh yeah, comic books, oh, I don't know about that. I would be like, yeah, shit, I should probably stop talking about this, but you're encouraging me now. Oh brother, <laughs> we could go, cause there are so many things to talk about in comics. Like, and and to this actually, I'm, I'm gonna post this or just show this on camera. Uh, you guys check the link in the show description for the video version of this expandingrealitypodcast.com. Paranoid American Thomas, of course, um, has this Geronimo's grave and you sent me this. This is awesome. This is a comic. That you guys are uh, hooked up and making, and of course you've had Thomas on quite a bit, and he's a dear friend. Th this type of style stuff, uh, guys, for the video version of it, again, but I'm going to link all this stuff in the show notes. Look at that. Look how badass that is. And so you're telling esoteric stuff, like what happened to Geronimo's skull through the skull and bones, and it's an awesome way to present information, and it's exciting, and thank you for sending that to me. Yeah. So uh, I love this, and so, okay, I've been looking at the idea of limitation and what that does to us psychologically. And I have been shunning the idea of limitation in droves, dude. And so I wanted to ask you about this idea specifically to what we've been talking about here. One of the ideas goes is that what you must do is basically not forget, but integrate 
and overpower the idea of limitation, right? So we've been given the idea of limitation. Let's speak specifically to superpowers. Let's say that superpowers in some dimension, in some reality, are absolutely accurate and they do occur. Maybe it's a genetic thing, like what we're presented with in the comics, which is a great idea, by the way. So it kicks on at puberty. You see it on super babies, like laser in their... The same, the same reason you would want old superheroes that have lost their faculties. You wouldn't want young ones as well, right? So they put in there like around puberty, whatever, you kind of get them. So the whole idea, though, you know, goes with this gene idea, but perhaps, and, I'm, and this is what I want to ask you about, do you think it could be just a belief idea to where we could overpower it in the sense that maybe by deliberate intention, forget the idea that we've been taught that specific limitation? And we do this in a myriad of ways. So you overcome it, overpower, and integrate. But could you be more focused, in your opinion, and you know, just what do you think? about directing your energy perhaps to a universe, a multiverse, if you believe in such a thing, to where you transfer to a dimension to where that limitation was never in the public psyche to begin with. And you do this with intention. Because as a multiverse goes, there's an infinite number of realities right there. And there's realities in which superheroes absolutely exist. So do you think that we could do this? Wow. I think, well, I think that that is, that is presupposing a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's simpler than that. I think what you just described is, is possible, but I think it would take quite a mind to get yourself out of one dimension into another. I think what's more possible is that your inner limitations that you're describing that we all have are just not as uh, rigid or solid as we've been taught. Like when I was a kid, I remember there was a show called Animorphs. You remember that show? I think so. Yeah. It, the whole point of the show is that each team oh. was, you know, like able to morph into a, a different animal and it, you know, played a, a role in their life somehow. You know, if they were a high school swimmer, they probably animorphed into a dolphin or you know, if they were a high school basketball player, they probably animorphed into, you know, a gazelle or something. While, right? while you're talking about this, yes, while you're talking about this, I've got the video uh, vo version of this up. Guys, these graphics are phenomenal. <laughs> what is this? Is this a centaur? What is this? These uh, starfish? Look at this one here, dude. The most amazing thing about Animorphs <laughs> is that is exactly what you're pointing out is the 90s graphics where the teenagers actually like morph into animals and you could see each stage of their evolution. So it's like, you know, the, the middle one, it's like half animal, half teen, which is hilarious because uh, it's 90s effects, 90s graphics. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hysterical. But when I when I uh saw this when I was a kid, you know, it wasn't like funny. It was just like cool. I was just like, whoa, this is everything I've always wanted to become an animal, right? I loved animals when I was a kid. That was a game I played in my mind, like, oh, I'm a cheetah, run around fast. Oh, I'm a monkey, climb up a tree, right? So kids do this. This is naturally a kid's kind of instinct is to to imitate animals, but when I saw that show, it kind of clicked in my head in a way that like, oh, this is possible. And, you know, as, as, a, as a kid, you see it on TV, kind of gives you an example. And that was a fairly, uh, what do they call it? Live action show, right? It wasn't animated. There were animated parts of it, but those were real actors. So it was kind of interesting as a kid to have that example and then grow up and find out that actually 
this is an ancient human practice of embodying the consciousness of an animal, embodying the spirit of an animal, and actually transforming your consciousness in some way through that process. So just like you, you said, you know, your question originally that made me bring up Animorphs, do you think it's possible to, to kind of imagine yourself into a, a multiverse where, or out of this dimension into another dimension in the multiverse where there are less limitations? I would say you could just bring those lack of limitations to this reality yeah. because, you know, your mind is constantly uh, plastic, right? It's always improving, growing, shaping itself into something new. And when I was younger, you know, I had probably, you know, a dozen possible routes that I could have gone down. Every human does at a certain age, you have, you know, a multitude of paths in front of you that you could go down, could have gone down the ro road of, uh, you know, drug addict, could have gone down the road of boozer, could have gone down the road of loser, could have gone down the road of landscaper, you know, could have gone down the road of, you know, so on and so forth. I'm not going to sit here and name all the different examples that Mark could have went down. Right. Uh, but that was a reality at 12 years old. Those were all possible futures for that, this person that is me. Uh, instead of any of that, I'm in this beautiful, amazing reality where I'm my own boss. I have friends like you all over the country, you know, beautiful people who are inspiring and as positive as I am, right? Because this is a, a choice I made when I was younger to learn about the law of attraction, to learn about positivity and, and putting your best foot forward and, and swinging with the pendulum. Because although I have put my best foot forward on many occasions, I've also taken two steps back on some occasions too. And that's something that we have to uh, accept, right? Is that we all have those limitations, but I think our limitations can be minimized when we start to project ourselves forward into the future with our imagination and our, you know, how we see ourselves. And we've been taught by society that imagination and character building aren't a part of the same kind of like character building and creating your future. That's all stuff that needs to be done with a guidance counselor and your parents, right? No, 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 no. Your imagination is your guidance counselor, you know? And I think because people have so low confidence and so low, um, choices, maybe of lower variety of choices perceived, right? Because that's not the truth. They have a huge multitude of choices. They're only perceiving a small amount of those. And that's really what's keeping us in this kind of limited, limited um, dimension. So I think, yeah, it's way more possible for us to experience things like telepathy and, uh, synchronicity and uh, other sort of supra-natural skills that are just, you know, right on the precipice of, of what we can do. Like they're not flying or shooting laser beams from our hands, but in a way compared to the average person, they are superpowers in our society, you know? And I think that's kind of how 
society's been uh, geared to keep people away from understanding their true power so that those who set those wheels in motion have a kind of monopoly on that power. And now that we're in the age of information, they're not going to have that monopoly for much longer. And this is the process that we're in right now is helping people wake up and engage in this different way of living your life where you're not, you know, held back by the limitations you're given by your parents, the limitations you're given by your environment and the limitations you're given through uh, experience. You know, those are all things that are natural and, you know, obstacles are in our path. We just have been taught that, you know, sometimes it's better to take shade in the obstacles wake rather than jump over it, you know, because the sun's too hot. So just take take cover in this little uh, groove that you found yourself in. I say bash through the obstacle and make it make your way to the next one and keep going. (laughs) Embodying Ganesh, the destroyer of obstacles, man. I love that. Yeah. I hope I didn't ramble too much, but you understand where I'm going, right? No, it was perfect because it it now leads me to the question of intentional evolution. So now what you're talking about is being able to manipulate us, which Bruce, Dr. Bruce H. Lipton has been talking about for a long time, this idea of epigenetics, that you're above your genetic programming. And then really it's not necessarily completely 100% dependent on your parents and you can supersede that. This is why you'll have parents that are overweight, uh, kids that aren't, right? I mean, there's many, you'll have... um, uh, little people in families of people who are not little people, right? So there are these things where there's genetic anomalies that occur, which you want in diversity, right? It's so important. But this um, idea, again, of sort of directing your evolution consciously with being able to heal yourself, not only that, but then, of course, removing the limitations of even that, like your ability to heal yourself. And so, like you said, this stair step of sort of... Uh, uh, wading into the water rather than being plunged in it because yeah that would be a traumatic thing people start shooting laser beams out of their eyes we saw how sh- much of a struggle it was for young cyclops there when he had to wear sunglasses and his eyes itched and shit so that transition period would be there now also it's interesting uh, this idea again of removing these limitations but then to be sort of just a stair step have you seen all of the uh, videos of the people that set a toothpick up like on a fixed thing and then they'll put a piece of foil that's been folded over on top of it they put a glass dome over it so there's no wind or anything affecting it as what they present. And then they'll put their hand on it and go like this on the outside, move it, and it'll spin in a certain direction. Very slowly, it's very subtle. I'll pull something up here in a minute and show you. But this made me think of that movie Looper. Do you remember that movie uh, with Bruce yeah. Willis and the dude? Okay, in that movie for the audience, uh, there was that little coin trick that everybody had. There they were a certain amount of people, and it was like a silly amount, so it was old to them at that point. Like people could rotate coins in their hand with this telekinetic ability that for us would be amazing but they were over it like just a few decades from now in the future because it was so prevalent but also it wasn't that uh spectacular you know you weren't like flipping buses over you were flipping a coin and even that was a struggle right so that again leads to the stair step so yes and um yeah so what do you what do you think of that that it is sort of like a a stair step thing that we can remove our limitations just simply like any other muscle by flexing it right because there are like those um, monks that can set shit on fire with their hands and stuff. And that's fascinating. I think one of the, and this is going to sound maybe like a challenge to anyone who's not athletic or an athlete or maybe doing a regular workout, which I'll admit I'm not regularly working out, but there was a point in my life where 
uh, and I'll, I'll get into that. So let me describe this. So I think that human beings at our current role, uh, wherever we are on the, you know, evolution, if we want to see things as an, as a scale of evolution, um, I think we've kind of devolved away from what we used to be into these like kind of more thinking, like you've seen the homunculus thing where it's like, this is the little man inside of your brain. And it's like shaped the way our perception interacts with the world around us. So like oversized hands, oversized eyes, because those are the two main senses we're using all the time, right? Our touch, our sense of vision, if we're not visually impaired, and then probably like lips would be as big um, because we're talking all the time and then eating all the time. Right. So that's what like, that's like a, a stylized sort of depiction of a human being based on, you know, what parts of the human being are being used the most as the largest parts. Right. It's like a, uh, what's it called? An analogous model. It's not accurate to what we really look like, but theoretically, these are the parts of our body that have the most impact on our life. Now, I think in the past, it wasn't like that. I don't think we were as dependent on those main five senses. I think we were more of a, yes, here it is. Thank you. So the giant hands, giant mouth, giant lips, giant eyes, right? That's all where our brain is emphasizing the most activity. So to our brain, I mean, this is what we're essentially, uh, you know, you kind of think of this as like a model of what our brain interacts with uh, as, as us, as human beings, right? This is how our brain kind of sees us. It's very hard to explain. I'm struggling to explain it, but I hope people are, you're getting the message. Now, there's a part of your brain when you work out that gets activated. I know this because when I was younger, I was into martial arts, I was into smoking weed, and I used the two in conjunction with one another. I would meditate, get high, I work out, and uh, something happened during the, these years when I would do this kind of workout under the influence of cannabis and also with meditating, I pushed myself past barriers that were once there. And I think once I pushed myself past those barriers, I was able to do things like run sprinting up the side of a mountain, which I did multiple times. There's a mountain called West rock in new Haven. I used to live not too far from the base of it. And I would run it up the mountain as a challenge, you know, until I was exhausted. And again, I don't work out that often anymore. So I'm not sitting here like David Goggins, like you got to work out, you know, like, but I think there's something that happens to your mind when this process is undergone and extremely strenuous when you push yourself, really push yourself past your limitations mentally and your body will always, I mean, so long as you don't hurt yourself by like jumping off of something or really, really 
pushing it too far, uh, your body will recover always. You know, I mean, for the most part, you have to be like really beating yourself up to, to put yourself in a position where your body doesn't recover from a workout. So, and I think our minds have that same, even stronger, probably times 10, that same ability to do that. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to sit on some high horse, like, Oh, you guys got to work out if you want to be smart. But I think there is an inherent connection to that. Like it's why athletics are, uh, I guess required with certain schools. Right. I mean, they, everybody goes through gym class, you know? Uh, but I think that people who excel at extreme workouts have a, a mental framework that allows them to enter into this kind of, uh, exactly what you described this other dimension. It's through that pain gate, that workout, you know, uh, pushing yourself that you're able to, to reach that mental fortitude. That's actually where you find, uh, I guess a blissful reality. And I think the reason why we might not necessarily connect the two is because in the past, spiritual people would do sort of aesthetic things to achieve this goal. But I think it's possible to do that with uh, stress and working out. I mean, that's what the Native Americans would do with uh, sweat lodges, pushing yourself to your ultimate, right? Your body can can only take so much uh, over the, a long period of time till you need rest from that heat, right? But putting yourself through that strengthens you, strengthens your soul and creates a, a peace that, you know, really our society doesn't want us to know because it's predicated on fear. So if they had a society had a bunch of strong warriors, the whole propaganda machine would fall, right? So I think that's kind of where a lot of people might not see sports in a like a kind of primal ancient position but it really is it's like connecting with who we are as human beings when you push yourself to that and you know to connect it back to like comic books and superheroes like what are superheroes but like the archetype of what we see ourselves as i mean they're just like you know exaggerated versions of ourselves in a lot of ways so and I wouldn't say that I'm a superhero, but compared to who I was when I was younger and who I am now, I think my younger self would look at this version of Mark and say, oh, wow, you've achieved something, right? And I could have easily gone down a road where, you know, I'm, I'm Mark Steve's with a beer belly and, and I drive a freaking, you know, a pickup truck and I I do junk, you know, like junk, uh, junk runs. Like there's a bunch mm -hmm. of junk run. That's why it's on my mind. Cause there's a bunch of junk on the street right now. And people are doing junk runs, like looking for scrap metal and stuff. I could have easily been a dude doing that. Right. Instead of a guy doing a podcast. And, um, yeah, I think, I think my younger self would be like, Oh yeah, this is, uh, this is a hell of a way to live compared to, I don't know, my dad or my grandpa. They both have great lives, but it's just nowhere near as interesting as this. 
<laughs> yeah, I was talking to my dad this morning and he was just asking me, you know, hey, so what do you got going on? I'm like, how much time you got? He's like, I got a lot of time. I really want to know what you got going on. And so I'm just telling him, you know, some things and he's just like, wow. And then I go, what are you doing? And he goes, nothing near as interesting as that. And he goes, but that's an awesome gift that you've given us. He goes, because we were able to raise you to be able to experience that. And I'm like, exactly. See how this works? And now I'm sharing. Okay. So, yeah. and I, I love this though, this idea of the connecting to, again, this, this higher self through all these different modalities, uh, and then it being expressed and, and visualized in the way of the homunculus is a, is a brilliant representation for us to sort of look around and go, oh, okay, we're getting a lot of our observations of this reality from these senses. So if this is the way that society says that we do this, and it's all brain map, there's, there's an interesting study on this. It's really cool. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, then, you know, perhaps there are areas on here where we could say, well, what about that looks unattractive or where can we look at that and say, actually, I'd like to build those arms up a little bit. I'm actually surprised the wiener's that small. I thought honestly, there's more <laughs> attention beyond that, to be fair. Uh, look at all, there's many representations of this. The wiener is proportional. But it, it's an interesting, you know, thing again, when you get into this kind of stuff. So what, what I like about this man and what I'm hearing as I'm just inspired to say, as you're, as you're, we're talking about this here is accessing this idea of accessing things rather than identifying as them i'll use a quick example i've been hearing this a lot in really powerful people that i consider powerful that i consider superheroes and i absolutely consider you a superhero and i'll tell you why because you are willing to look within and to serve without so you go within and you recognize what's going on so i've redefined superhero for me we say comics and all of that, but the real fucking superheroes, the ones with the real superpowers here are you. You are like the ones that go within and that will be of service in this way after the introspection, because before you just, it's, you understand the uh, order of operations in a different way. So what I was thinking about on this was sort of accessing in a way. So again, you're not, when people say I'm sad, what that is, is that's a statement. That's a declaration, right? But when phrased in the sense of I'm accessing sadness, it's different, it's temporary, right? If you're borrowing it for a little bit, you have a choice to hang on to it for as long as you want or access it as long as you want, and then you can give it back, right? So again, but when you take it and you rip it off from the hole and you say, I am sad, now you're hanging on to it, now you just carry it around with you everywhere. But this idea of accessing, so to what you were saying, it's almost like the Akashic records of physical abilities, which of course they would be in there, right? Uh, the idea of accessing these parts of everything that are out there all the time, like it's similar to accessing the Akashic Records, but you're accessing this power, if we want to call it that, this new physical way of interacting with your world would be a way to phrase it. So in that way, it may not be so insurmountable in the moment, right? You just phrase it as, hey, this is just a new physical way I want to interact with the world. I'd like to be able to go like that and queef a pin across the street. You know what I'm saying? Like that would be something interesting. And so again, if you... I don't think we're beyond any of this shit. What do you think? Just accessing those sort of ideas and then out and then bringing them into the physical, which is some, what some people think we do anyway with everything. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think we're, we're, we're as much the container that is our body as we are the container that is our environment. So I, I don't know if it's as simple as being able to control all the, parameters within the totality of a human i think we also have to understand our environment and how to interact with that and i think when we can interact with our environment it may appear to those who don't understand what's going on like we're performing 
some sort of magic or supernatural abilities. I mean, everything from telekinesis to weather manipulation uh, have been demonstrated, uh, maybe not under scientific, uh, you know, rigorous, uh, you know, rigors, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they're they're possible. And I think that's kind of the problem with science is that it expects things to work in a way that they naturally don't. Uh, it, it presupposes artificial conditions on nature and then finds no results because it's expecting something that isn't there. And I, that homunculus with its tiny penis, I think is probably uh you know a good model of somebody like a scientist who is constantly working with their their you know mind their hands at the keyboard or with, at a pen and paper right i wonder if they do that same brain map study with someone who's like a laborer who works all day on a farm or who someone who works maybe as a, a mixed martial artist or maybe somebody who works as a, a boat captain, right? I think different people are going to have a different uh, model of, of homunculus map, right? I mean, that whole word homunculus, if you want to really understand it, my buddy Juan has done a ton of really interesting research into the alchemical origins of that word. Uh, but as far as the way we're using it, it's, it's just sort of a psychological term. So it's important to distinguish that the alchemical homunculus and the sociological psychological homunculus are not necessarily the same idea just for listeners who may be familiar with Juan's work and are getting excited right now. It's, it's a little different, but uh, definitely there's a thread. There is a thread there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that that map is flawed and it's because we are measuring these scientists are measuring humans who are maybe not ideal right i think we could be healthier more in tune in harmony with our environment and i wonder what uh that kind of homunculus would look like uh, a homunculus that was more in tune you know because this is a as you say they're using uh, brain mapping to kind of create this model and say like, okay, well, this is the parts of the body that receive the most interaction with the brain. So we'll kind of proportionate the body based on which parts of the brain are being interacted with and vice versa. I wonder, you know, if that could change depending on a person's lifestyle. Yeah, this is, this is what I'm thinking is because when I look at this, dude, I think of like the claymation things from the eighties that like used to be sort of like the tricksters, you know, and they would, I mean, I'm sure there's gotta be some of these in the eighties. Um, oh yeah. But it's interesting. Cause then you say, okay, well, what would mine look like? Right. Maybe there's some sort of Karelian photography equivalent to being able to create a 3d model of your homunculus because mm -hmm. it would be different. Right. So maybe your heart's real big, maybe, you know, things like that over other things. Um, Dong would probably be about the same size for me, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, but it, it seems like this is just such an interesting way of anthropomorphizing the idea of how we interact with our world. Well, like they've got just some really interesting. I don't mean to harp on the, the crass here, but I do think that's like you, you said that as a joke, but it is fascinating yeah. because I think sexually like the human mind is more of like where we find ourselves sexually than the body. Mm -hmm. 
right? I think that is what that's speaking to is that like, even though, you know, physically we associate all this sensuality with our, our body, especially that part of our body, we're still primarily mental beings who are like, even in uh, one of the most physical forms of, you know, uh, getting together, we're, we're still in our brains. Like, I think that explains the female orgasm in some ways. Huh. <laughs> Do you want to go on on that for the, for the audience? That we got to say for the Patreon. Okay. Yeah, okay, if that's folks want to sign up for my hundred dollar tier. I I explain how to do all that, uh, G spot, everything. We talk about it all on the hundred dollar tier on my Patreon. <laughs> Outstanding. Okay, uh, very good. Uh, pants optional uh, as always. All right. Well, so I'll video, be. There's no video for that. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's audio. It's not an instructional. <laughs> Got it. Uh, I love it, man. Well. What is it that you've been working on lately? Because you've been doing these tours in New Haven, and I'm, I'm just curious about this, because uh, I'd love to walk around someplace and get your opinions and insights and observations on things. So t- tell folks about that if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I've, I have some slides if we want to give the video viewing audience a treat. Dude, we uh, love that. And linked in the show notes, guys, to so check that out for the video version of this for the audio-only audience. And, yeah, we'd love that, man. So New Haven is, uh, you know, it, like I said earlier, it's not like a super big tourist town because all that's really there is, uh, is Yale, right? I mean, there's, uh, there's water, but it's Long Island Sound. So it's not like, you know, your typical beach. Uh, but it, it is a, it is an interesting place. It's a beautiful place, but primarily it's an intellectual crowd that's coming in and out of New Haven. Cause they're there for Yale. Maybe they're there because their children are at Yale, family members live there, work there, et cetera. Uh, it's not exactly like a tourist trap, but, um, there are some things about New Haven that I just couldn't reconcile with like a normal city there are things that stand out in new haven that i haven't found repeated anywhere else so we'll get into that as soon as i pick up this slide here if i can find it in my many uh folders on my computer it's just it's just a jungle of folders here give me (laughs) one moment totally happens no worries at all uh, and again, just want to thank you for this. This is awesome. And again, guys, uh, all the ways to find him, of course, link down in the show notes. Make sure you check out My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Of course, Alt Media, United, Rockfin, and everywhere that they're served. You guys check him out for damn sure. Outstanding conversations, man. It's a wonderful platform. Thank you. So we should start with, uh, should start with this tower, the tallest tower in Connecticut. And I will share my screen in just a moment. Um, but yeah, the tallest tower in, did I say Connecticut? I meant New Haven, is the Connecticut Financial Center. Okay. And the acronym CFC is also the number 363, right? C is the third number in the alphabet. F is the sixth number in the alphabet. So we have CFC. Well, the building itself is 383 feet tall minus the 20 foot pyramid on the roof, 
making the building 363 feet tall. So what are the odds? The tallest building in New Haven is called the Connecticut Financial Center, which is also like in a way the same number as it's it as it is high off the ground, right? 363 wow. feet. So there are these kind of like little things going on. You know, three plus six is nine. New Haven is a nine square grid. Um, and that is what we're going to kind of look at in a moment here. If I could just find this. <laughs> it's always, dude. It's Mercury retrograde. It totally happens now. This is why it, why it does that. It's I treat the Mercury retrogrades and uh, we just tell as you're looking here as just slow downs like uh school zones from the universe it's like dude just slow down you know all your electronics are going to be silly communication's going to be off between people and emails are going to get sent weird like texts are going to get sent uh with different energy and it's just like a moment to just kind of pause and go you know what yeah we'll just slow down mm. treat them as reflection times they used to be just like a oh god mercury retrograde get fucked like don't schedule anything like uh pins and needles but now it's just okay it's fine they're a natural yeah. cycle and it's just an introspection point for me now it's wonderful well i i get so slick with my like folder names that i forget them all and then yeah. i'm what folder <laughs> did i put that in because i think like oh this will be smart i'll i'll make a new folder just for these types of presentations <laughs> and then i never but now i have it so i'm sharing my screen and we are going to be viewing this in just a moment as soon as it loads all right boom so and i should say if anybody is in the new england area and they want to drive down to new haven they are more than welcome to reach out to me on instagram let me know when you'll be there and i'd be happy to meet you downtown and give you a little tour so can you see this yeah yeah it looks great so this is a front cover of my new pdf uh, and i'm going to be using this to kind of show you guys some images and if you're curious about all of the information you could pick up this pdf on my website uh, and i will have printed copies hopefully one day uh maybe through Redigital uh publishing so very soon yes sir we'll see but uh so i named this aesthetic and that's because i like to do the uh acronyms and it stands for an architectural symbolic comparative inquiry into topographical intelligence and culture. What does that mean? Well, it means that when you're walking around a city and you're observing the buildings, the artwork, the layout of the city itself, you know, the, the advertisements, even there is a symbolic culture there. There, there is an intelligence. There are minds that have crafted what you're seeing to be a certain way. And maybe they've even in cases like New Haven, you know, gone through great lengths to plan the city to be a certain way uh, and have certain images almost to pull uh, symbols from the past and then anchor them into the present. And, and you'll see what I mean in just a moment. So New Haven was originally formed around this center square here. And they built a nine square grid, which was kind of a customary in England at the time. Uh, obviously, this is not in England. This is New England, Connecticut, to be specific, for people who don't know where Connecticut is because you didn't pay attention in geography class. It's right next to New York City, folks. So we're right near New York, 
to the east. And New Haven is one of the primary uh, port cities along the Connecticut coast, or at least it wanted to be. Never quite kicked off to be a uh, big business in New Haven, but Yale's college luckily kind of saved New Haven from just being another random small town. Now, um, the nine square grid is fascinating because it's been there since the 1600s. This is how the city was planned, laid out in the 1600s, and they've maintained that form through all the many centuries. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting to see. There's a few new roads that are kind of bisecting the squares, but it's uh, it's probably one of the few, if not the only, in the entire country, uh, one of the few cities. And it's, I think, a United States national landmark because of that. So um, fascinating stuff. And yeah, yeah. It reminds ahead. me of a, uh, a Rubik's Cube. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. Hmm. I never made that connection. Maybe this is a a colorful map and that's where you're getting that association but yeah that's the interesting. three by three yeah the nine yeah. the 12 square here yeah and and this is something that you know in magic western mandala magic oh wow there you go yeah, it's got the three by three so it's the it's interesting mm-hmm. so then now i'm curious about what they thought about the cube you know when the if the cube had any part of this or what this is because of course it's a just a 2d representation of a 3d cube it's interesting. I don't know. Absolutely. Just what I thought of. Yeah, I think the cube is definitely part of this. Now, uh, yeah, New Haven was kind of uh, oriented towards the north on a 32-degree angle. So this nine square is on a 32-degree angle. If you were to draw a, uh, a line going east to west, the pyramid or the the square would be kind of tipped on one of its angles. So yeah, 32 degrees. I don't know if that was uh, a choice that was made or if that is just how it was done back then, but fascinating to think that one of the first Freemasonic lodges existed uh, in the United States on this nine square grid and it's oriented 32 degrees like that. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of information in this PDF. I'm just gonna kind of jump around and find some interesting points. Here's that building I just described earlier. Uh, It's 383 feet tall, but if you notice here, as I mentioned, the uh, pyramid at the top, this is about 20 feet from from the t- from the top to let's say like this base right here or even this base right here there it's about 20 feet so my guesstimation is that the you know line right here is 363 feet from the ground making it you know about uh <laughs> kind of like this weird like collapsing in on itself thing where it's like a symbol within a symbol and they both mean the same thing. Um, and that's the tallest building. It's also in the sixth square of the, uh, of the nine square grid. And 
kind of looks just like the pyramids, right? From the side, you have this like triple pyramid roof going on. Why they chose that, I don't know. Yeah, it's really, really, really interesting. Now, we also have the Knight's Tower, which is the third tallest building in New Haven. And this is where the Knights of Columbus have their headquarters. So it's a sort of fraternal organization. And if you notice this uh, from above, the bird's eye view of the building, it has this odd shape. It's the same shape that you can find on your Apple computer's keyboard, uh, the command key. Now, this is also kind of interesting because it's known as St. John's Arms, this symbol. And in uh, Scandinavian countries, it is a symbol meaning this is a point of interest. Or maybe if you're on a map and you're looking at the map, you know, like in a city and it says you are here, they'll use this symbol, uh, this St. John's Arms sort of looped square. And I find this fascinating that this is in New Haven because throughout New England, there are ancient Celtic structures that have, for the most part, gone ignored. And some of them have Celtic inscriptions on them that look just like this with the various looped squares and looped, you know, different uh, arrangements of circles and it's very fascinating you know why why they ignore this part of american history why they swept it under the rug i don't know exactly but i think it has something to do with politics and uh and and the right to be you know on this land uh, who who has rightful claim over america now yeah one thing that's kind of interesting is we have these sort of Roman and Greek structures throughout New Haven. So our courthouse is modeled after the Parthenon at Greece. It also takes a few design tips from George's Hall in Liverpool, England. So, you know, kind of uh, interesting considering this is an American city built pre-revolution and there are post-revolution structures that are uh, you know sort of british in nature or at least uh kind of in the same style the georgian kind of style we also have the taft hotel is another fascinating uh building with a ton of history associated with it uh Everyone from Benedict Arnold to George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Albert Einstein. I mean, so many different people have stayed at this hotel. And it's one of the old, has one of the oldest contiguous uh, bars still extant in New Haven. Uh, Formerly a place called Beer's Tavern, where the founding fathers went to uh, have a drink. And uh, yeah, there's just tons of strange buildings. I don't want to just read through the whole PDF here because there's a lot to get through and I don't want to bore you, Brandon, but 
No, this oh. is fascinating, dude. But uh, I understand if you don't, if we want to skim through. But dude, um, and with the, I'm gonna just say Tartarian architecture type style stuff. I mean, this is awesome. This is absolutely fascinating. Now, are any of those big structures like that? And you may have covered. And I apologize. It would located within that nine square area. Yeah. So the the courthouse is the uh, Knights Tower is just on the outer edges of the nine square. Um, this Taft Hotel is also in the nine square. Uh, the Armstrong Rubber Company building is not, but I included it because it's kind of a unique kind of brutalist yeah. structure and um, just very odd looking. It is odd. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Way more questions. Connecticut's oldest building is here uh, in the sort of center. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of this is in the ninth square nine square arrangement um harkness tower is as well yeah they have that statue of atlas out in front of rockefeller center is that what you were showing up there the one of him uh yeah so that, this yeah this is the so this was created by lee laurie uh the atlas sculpture and uh he is basically like He's one of the most prolific sculptors of his time. He he sculpted tons and tons and tons of amazing works that are all over the United States, specifically in important places like in front of you know Rockefeller Center or uh, I think the state of Nebraska or Oklahoma. They have like a huge tower. And on top of the tower of their Capitol building is this bronze statue of a man like throwing seeds out of a pouch. He's called the sower. It's either Nebraska or Oklahoma. And uh, and he built that as well. So this guy who was commissioned, you know, G Gamble Rogers and his, uh, you know, artist kind of friend, Lee Laurie, they went and created a lot of the design and a lot of the really beautiful neo-gothic elements of Yale's campus. And what you're looking at here in this picture is the Harkness Tower, which if you're driving through New Haven, you'll be able to see it. It's Yale's tallest building. It stands exactly 66 meters tall and uh, it's built with standard oil money. So standard oil gave, you know, I think $63 million to Yale at some point in, uh, in the early 1900s. And people should know that, uh, well, why would all these oil million billionaires give their money to Yale? Because Yale was the first place where rock oil was distilled into petroleum yale university actually made that discovery that revolutionized the world i mean without petroleum we might still be riding around in you know horse and buggies right so like this is a huge event in human history recent history and it happened at yale and the all of this money this wealth was created through that industry and these guys gave a lot of it back to Yale and they were able to build a beautiful campus just packed with symbolism you know a lot of the the architects at this time were 
a part of esoteric groups. You know, they were interested in these sort of subjects. This was something that was commonplace in the 1900s, uh, early 1900s and 19th century, rather. Uh, you know, groups like the Theosophists and uh, all the others. I mean, there's tons. There's spiritualists and so there's many things that you'll notice when you're going around New Haven that are kind of, you know, a little peculiar, a little spooky looking. And Harkness Tower is is no different. It's the only coronary tower uh, built on this side of the world, uh, at least when it was built. It was the first of its kind. There may be others now, uh, but it was the first coronary tower, crown tower built in America. And uh, it's interesting considering that, you know, New Haven isn't like, it's not where any government office sits, not like the president or, you know, is in New Haven. So you have this crown tower that's normally the symbol of like where the king lives here in America uh, at Yale. And I wonder what that's hinting at that, you know, Yale is king, maybe Harvard's queen, right? <laughs> so, and, or maybe it was all here before, like they say about Memphis and Egypt and all that. And then it moved over to England. And we just think that this is new England, but really it's like hella old England, you know? Well, you know, I do, I do like Tartaria for bringing me into all this stuff. Cause like, to be honest, I've always been interested in history, but when I started seeing all the Tartaria information, that's what got me really amped up to go out and find out what's what the truth was. And I just don't buy it with the East Coast because, you know, I could be being fooled and people who love the Tartaria theory, they're going to get mad at me and say, oh, you're just a hater. But the more research I've done into my local area, New England, specifically Connecticut, the easier it's been to find old photos of these buildings before they were destroyed. Uh, I've found buildings, uh, photos of buildings that, you know, still exist now, what they looked like 200 years ago. We have names, we have records of how these buildings were built. It just, it doesn't add up that these structures were here longer than they told us and then somebody came in and and just like took them over and said no no we built these that could be true for a place maybe further west where you know different civilizations existed in the past i think that could be true for places along the west coast more so than the east coast but with the east coast we've i've found ancient stone structures they're in the forest they're not like you know in the center of town they're not like post offices now you know like there is a clear chain of events here and this town is you know the town that i'm in right now is 400 years old there's a history there's a record of the past 400 years they didn't just make that up you know you can go and read you know birth certificates from and like uh a lot of old books that I have on this, these shelves will tell you like, cause they didn't do birth certificates at a certain time in history, obviously, but they had records of people being born at the church or sometimes post office, maybe the, you know, whoever was in charge of the town, uh, usually somebody in the church, but they would keep record of this stuff. So again, you know, people who are into the Tartaria 
subject, they're just going to say, oh, well, that those records are all fake and it's all a hoax and you're dumb for believing the, the BS. But I've tried and I'm an open-minded guy. I love the idea that there could be an alternative history that they're hiding from us. And I don't discount that. I just don't think it's going on with Yale University uh, because there are buildings that have been standing since the 1700s that they didn't destroy in order to, you know, cover things up. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I do think that it's possible to create these things. They're not that spectacular. It's not like Puma Punku or, or Teotihuacan where you're like, whoa, like these people had to have had some kind of advanced stonework knowledge, or maybe they were using a type of cement that we don't have access to geopolymers, this kind of thing. Not with Yale, not with Yale. You could look at Yale's buildings and see that it was created by some very artistic, very, you know, skilled craftsmen, very skilled. Doesn't mean that they were, you know, a part of some lost civilization. Uh, even, even though the things that were built a hundred years ago were made better. I mean, that's just a fact. Why? Well, <laughs> Back then, people actually cared about their they country. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, we have these politicians who embezzle stuff and we have, you know, mob run construction companies and they're using the cheapest stuff they can because they're trying to cut costs and skim off the top. That's the real reason why we don't make them like we used to. It's not because you know, oh, some ancient civilization used to be here and we destroyed them and erased them and took over their buildings. No, that's ridiculous. It may be true for other parts of the world, maybe true for different parts of North America, but on the East Coast, you know, the the structures that were here before the colonists, I could point those out. They're the stone walls built by the Native Americans. They're the the these stone monoliths that the Native Americans built. And some people think that maybe Europeans were here in like 400 AD, 500 AD and hanging out with the Native Americans. And that's why there are Celtic inscriptions and stuff. It's not because the Native Americans weren't here. They were here, but they were kind of trading and working with the Vikings and the Celts and whoever else was sailing over. Even the Portuguese were here like 800 AD, something like that. So, China as well. In China as well. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. People from China have, you know, were the some of the first to sail up the Mississippi and see the mound building cultures. So, yeah, maybe they were the they were probably the last people to interact with the mound builders because the mound builders, uh, you know, mysteriously disappeared. And I was talking to a guy who who thinks that maybe the Chinese could have accidentally or purposely um, inoculated them or, you know, infected them with smallpox. So as we know, the Chinese had smallpox as far back as like 300 BC, and they had already figured out how to uh, give people an immunity to smallpox through a certain form of uh, exposure to the smallpox. And uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe they were doing something like that. But I, as much as like Tartaria fascinates me and like the idea that there's a class of buildings that are m much older than we're told, none of that to me is, is far-fetched. 
it's just far fetched when you try to apply that to every single city. You know, New York City, for example, there's a star fort that once was at Wall Street. Does that mean that that star fort is 10,000 years old? No, it could be 500 years old. It's still fascinating, yeah. you know. Um, I, that's where a lot of the Tartaria stuff gets far fetched. And I'm really grateful that I, uh, that that exists because I probably wouldn't have gone into this research into my own local area if I didn't have a like somebody trying to tell me that you know that it's all a lie. There's possibly right? some pretty cool shit you can dig up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there are. When builds. you did, you did dig up some cool shit in the form of your own observations. So I'm grateful you've articulated it because we all want it to be something awesome. But sometimes it's just what you see, which is still awesome because it's verification. We just had uh, Mark Ollie on talking about the sword and the stone and the way that that story goes with King Arthur is that it was a stone, but they take two halves of this massive stone and chisel out the form of a bronze sword that they can pour bronze into. And then they marry the stone together, wrap it with this wire with these sparks and shit, you know, and then pour it, then sparks and shit are coming out. That's awesome. You know? And so literally that's where the pulling the sword from the stone comes from is once the molds open, it's on one side and then you pull the stone sword from it. Right. Wow. That's fascinating. It's it, so it's married with the legend as well as like the reality of it, you know what I mean? And so that's what you're able to discover with your own observation. And um, before we wrap here, I've just got another commitment, dude, but I'm gonna get you on again soon. This is too fucking too much fun. Okay, check this out because this is something, so to what you said to verify, it's Nebraska State. So to Lee Laurel's, uh, Lori's uh, statue here, Nebraska State Capitol has this dude up there, but that's awesome. I love this dude's work, by the way. Even yeah. Atlas, because it looks so like Art Deco and chiseled. You know what I mean? It's like those. Oh yeah. Angels. Well, that was his yeah. his his movement, right? I, that was like you know he's eighteen seventy seven. He was born, so like by the time he was uh, you know at the height of his career, Art Deco was also probably the most popular style. So yeah, he was he was the Art Deco guy. I mean, that's what's so fascinating about walking around Yale is Art Deco, uh, the style is very attractive to the eye and it pulls you into the scenes on the buildings because that's what they do they put these scenes on the various buildings you know everything from depictions of like school life and being a student at Yale to like owls and you know Hermes and Shakespeare and all these other characters and mythological figures and even allegorical figures like the sower like the sower is not um, you know, it's not a myth that Americans believe in, like some magical sower man who sowed seeds across the Midwest. But, you know, in 500 years, people are going to look at that and they're going to understand that. And they're going to look back at this time period and they're going to say, wow, like these people who, who came across the Midwest, they were like gods. They were like mythical figures, you know, because that's how we remember history. We, 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 mythologize it wow look at that owl over his yeah yep man that's and that was the calling card i think that these guys were all part of some sort of esoteric thing because you see those owls over and over the owl makes sense on yale's campus because you know wisdom right the owl is supposed to be a, s a symbol of wisdom but now you see lee using that owl symbol on a government building and you're like uh-huh what's what? going on there yeah <laughs> Right, it gets so, really interesting. But yeah, they're I beautiful love though. Oh, look at that, King Arthur pulling the sword from the stone. We just talked oh. about that. That's a synchronicity, dude. Sink wink, baby. How cool is that? Sink wink. <laughs>
Wow. One more, one more thing I wanted to show you, but this is beautiful, Mark. Thank you. Um, is this, this is something and it may be nothing. This is just kind of one of these things I do with Dave Zed where I just kind of follow threads with shit. The design of the layout of the city, like we said, was that cube. But when you mentioned that it was at a tilt, that was very interesting to me. Cause then you have these famous sculptures of these. Who made black. that? Uh, there's several. So Alamo sculpture uh, is this one is in New York City, I believe. And then you have this one as well. The black cube sculpture. Did a guy named Asama Noguchi make that? Uh, honestly, I, I can look I, it up. Let's check I it out. I think it's Asama Noguchi because in New Haven. Oh, no. Tony Rosenthal. Tony Rosenthal. So located Asama, at Astor Palace in East Village neighborhood in Manhattan, New York. But look at the angle that it's at. You know, I, I would venture to say that it would probably be something pretty similar. And if not, if you looked at it on edge, the angle, you know what I mean? Well, but it's still interesting that there's a cube tilted on its side, which is exactly out. what. Yeah. You just hit us with another synchronicity because in New Haven, there is a cube of standing on its side just like that. Yep. It is the uh, cube in Asama Noguchi's sunken garden. Shout out to my friend Chad Stemke, who you may have spoken to before. I'm not, but I'm going to write it down. Yeah, you should talk to him. He has a book called Stargate Detroit. Ooh. And he talks about this artist, Asama Noguchi, creating these art sculptures that are essentially stargate portals yeah. and go figure Osama built a underground sunken garden in Yale University's campus you you look over a wall down to the you know the lower floor to see it and it's interesting because a lot of New Haven is underground there's a bunch of underground tunnels so it's almost like an acknowledgement of that like hey we're going to build this art but we're going to build it on below ground level to kind of give the um you know insinuation that there's more going on underneath if you catch my drift right I, so i do and that led me to i guess my final question for you here have you dug in literally to the underground of the area and seen if you have ancient tunnel systems ancient cave systems mining operations anything like that that's a that's a really good question. So when it comes to ancient caves, uh, we are very close to the water, so sea level. You know, like uh, most of the New Haven coastline is just at sea level, so there's not much underground there besides water. But uh, the two mountains in New Haven, uh, West Rock and East Rock, definitely have um, underground qualities to them. There was one. Uh, incident in the past where the judges who ordered the execution of King Charles fled to New Haven and took refuge in Judge's Cave on top of West Rock. But I'll do one better. So in all of the United States during the 1800s, you know, snow removal was pretty much by shovel, right? They didn't have snow plows, maybe, you know, a horse or ox could pull a plow, but I don't think they were doing that with snow. It's kind of difficult to do that. So everybody, instead of just like waiting for the snow to get shoveled, they would use these underground tunnels to access parts of the campus in the winter. So most campuses that were built at that time period have an underground feature to them for that purpose of being able to go from dorms to classrooms and so on, even in inclement weather. Um, and my father, who works for the water department has in New Haven, has been 
underground all over New Haven. So he's told me, you know, what's there and how deep the tunnel system goes. He's even been underneath Skull and Bones's tomb and uh, tried to tell me that there's not much going on under there. But I don't I don't yeah. buy that. I think he, he just he was on the service side of the basement. They didn't let him see the the more exciting side. Or maybe of- he walked in there was like. Oh, I can't tell Mark about this. Right. <laughs> walk out, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I I don't know how long ago that was, but he did. We did talk about that a few weeks ago. I brought all this up with him, and he said, "Oh, yeah, I've been under there." And I was like, "You never thought to tell me that, you know?" Nothing to see. Yeah. So, so yeah, but we ought to continue this another time, man. I, I don't it, hold you up too much longer. No, no, no. no. This is perfect. To end it. I mean, it's perfect timing, Mark. Thank you so much, dude. This has been outstanding. Of course, all the ways to find you located down in the show notes, guys. Uh, could not rave enough about this gentleman and all you're doing. So, thank you again for this, for everything. And we always, always have so much more to look forward to with you. So, thank you, brother. Yeah, and I'm going to send you the link to that PDF if people want to continue reading that. They could go into the episode description and check it out. Perfect. Yeah. And I'll absolutely link it, man. Thanks for doing that, dude. That's cool shit. Folks who are going to get the PDF, don't message me saying I wasn't able to put my address in there. It's a PDF. You could download it. Yeah. We'll have physical copies. Thanks to this amazing gentleman, hopefully soon. But you and I still have to talk about that. So, And we we will do it, man. Uh, Absolutely. Like I said, only great things to look forward to, man. This is fascinating. So thank you again, brother. This is awesome. Right on. Right on. Thank you. Just want to take a moment and thank Mark for coming by and hanging out, dude. Absolutely fascinating. You are welcome back anytime, man. Thank you so much for that. Of course, all the ways to find more about him and his work and what he's got going on and all the cool shit located down in the show notes. Make sure that y'all check that out. Also down there is our resource links. All of those are available to you. We have Food Forest, Opus. We've got the Manifestor's Guide, of course, as well. Coherent Spaces for that wish unit that we've been pumping all the good vibes out with. As well down there, guys, check out Phi Tribe. If you want to get your good sleep on, your great sleep, rather, that is the way to do it. They have meditation mixes, uh, lucid dreaming stuff. All the Solfagio series are up. You can also sign up at their website. There's a bunch of new cool shit going on, and you're not going to want to miss it. Definitely check that out as well. Linked down in that show notes. Now, before we depart here, I'd like to just part with some words of just, you know what? Go out into this incredibly beautiful place, whatever the fuck this thing is, guys, and y'all pick up a piece of litter. Be nice to everybody you come across. Of course, buy some money in line around you, a coffee or a meal. Something small goes a long way in the collective, as well as if you're driving along in our highway system out here, anywhere you are, actually, not our highway system. It's all our highway system. Get out of the fucking left-hand lane is what I'm trying to say. Get out of the left-hand lane. You got somebody behind you wanting to pass. Uh, As well, just beyond anything else, go out into this beautifully mysterious place, an amazing whatever the fuck, and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for watching, listening, engaging, and just being the coolest sons of bitches ever. We'll see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.